Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. We are jumping into this all-new series called The Elephant Room, where we're going to talk about some of the tough topics of the day, some of the elephants of the room uh, of our culture in the church. And so here's a breakdown of what's going down during these five weeks. Uh, We're going to talk about the gospel, sorry, six weeks, the gospel of women in leadership or ministry, the gospel of politics, gospel and diversity, gospel and sexuality, the gospel of materialism, the gospel and life. And honestly, we might do a week seven and let you submit your own questions and have a panel uh, what do you guys think? You want to do that? All right. Well, I'm going to pray about it. But, uh, but man, this is going to be a fun series. I hope you're ready today. I'm going to do a little more teaching than normal. We're going to be jumping around different scriptures, um, some theological viewpoints. And so today's going to be a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. So I hope you came ready to learn. Uh, it's going to be a fun day and a fun series, and I'm excited to be a part of it with you. So let's jump in. The gospel and women in ministry. I actually was really thinking through, like, is this a topic we really need to address? Because in our church, women preach and teach. And I figure if you come here and you've called it your home, you don't have an issue with it. Uh, But I started to think more about it. And just this last, man, month, the Southwest, Southwest Baptist denomination had their convention and they kicked out a bunch of pastors who believe that women could be pastors. Uh, Rick Warren being one of the most prominent. You've heard of him, possibly one of the most well-known pastors of our day, wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And he's been a part of the Southwest Baptist denomination all these years. And he came out of support of women as pastors and in ministry, as well as did several other prominent churches and pastors. And so they kicked them all out of their denomination. I said, wow, this is maybe a bigger deal than I thought. Um, Then I was actually on an Instagram account that I follow. They're a Christian account. And they posted last week a question. They said, what are red flags for you when attending a new church? And I went down in the comments, as I often do. Do any of you do this? Um, Go down the rabbit hole. And and I went on the comments, and over 50% of the responses were when a woman preaches. And I was shocked, because this is a Christian account, a lot of Christians follow, that that many people had an issue with women in pastoral leadership, women preachers and teachers. And so it got me thinking, you know what? I almost was going to skip this topic. I'm like, no, we need to start with this topic. And so here we go. Let's jump in. The gospel and women in ministry. The reason we're putting the gospel on everyone, because the gospel is the good news. And we need the good news, which is the word of God, to inform our thinking on every topic. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to present to you today my stance and our stance as a church that women can lead, preach, teach, and be in ministry. That's my stance. That's what I'm going to present to you. Now, I'm going to do this theologically. I'm going to do this biblically. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my epistemology. Now, what is epistemology? Uh, Epistemology is the investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. 
You see, I could get up here and share my opinion on women in ministry, but we need a justified belief. And how do we justify our belief? As preachers and teachers of the word and as a pastor, I must justify my belief with the word of God. That is the only thing that can justify any opinion or belief that I have. It has to be rooted in God's word. So your epistemology essentially is what informs us of our view on a topic. So uh, what happens in the church, and I've even been guilty of it at times, is we will take one scripture and we'll use that one scripture to justify our opinion on a topic. And this is very dangerous because what we're doing is we're not taking the Bible as a whole, number one. Number two, we may be taking that verse, that singular verse out of context because we have to understand the context for it to be relevant for us in our thinking and how it informs our thinking. So I'm going to do my best to also not just bring a verse or two to validate my thinking or my opinion, but to really dig into the context of what each text scripture is saying so that we are properly informed biblically on why we are taking this stance today. Now, there are some nuances within this stance of women leading, preaching, teaching, and being in ministry, and we're going to get into that here in a moment. But I want to present to you first four questions. So the first question is this. This is how we need to approach um, our understanding of this topic. Number one is, is this consistent with the rest of Pauline teaching? Now, the reason I'm saying Pauline teaching is because Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the primary source that people use on this topic. And so we're going to look at several of Paul's teachings on this topic of women in ministry. He's the primary source. His um, letters that were written uh, to much of the church and to the leaders of the church in the New Testament, in the early church in the first century, are going to inform us. But we need to look at all of Paul's teaching. Because what people do is they take a couple verses from Paul's teaching and they say, he said this here, and so that's the fact of the matter. Women should be silent. We're going to get there in a moment. But we have to look at all of Paul's teaching. We're going to do that. Number two is, is this consistent with the rest of Scripture? So Peter addresses women um, in ministry and leadership. Uh, the Scriptures as a whole, the Old Testament, the New Testament. There are multiple other places referencing uh, women and women leaders and women uh, pastors, leaders, teachers. We need to look at all of the Scripture. The third question, I'm going to answer this right now is, is this consistent with historic interpretation? So hear me. It doesn't matter what culture says. Can I just tell you this right now? On any topic, which we're going to address some hot topics, I gave you the list. It does not matter what culture says. I could care less, couldn't care less. We always mess that up. It's not could care less. It's couldn't care less. Stop doing that. I couldn't care less what this culture, this world, or people say about any topic. 
All I must care about is what God says. And I know what God says, not because I heard him whisper it in my ear, because people have said this to me too. Well, God actually told me. No, does it align with the word of God? We have his words right here. If you hear God tell you anything that contradicts this, it's not God. It's you. It's maybe the pizza you ate the night before, all right? I don't care what culture says. I don't care what people think. I care what God says, and I know what God says because I have God's word. So we base it on God's word because we believe that this is the infallible, inerrant word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So I need you to understand um, a part of my epistemology, which is that I allow this to inform all my thinking on every topic. Now, if there's something that the Bible doesn't address in this world, and there are some things, there's still wisdom throughout God's word that can help me to align my thinking to what I think is best as it relates to the big topics of today. So I'm using this. But when I said to you, my third question was, is this consistent with historic interpretation of God's word? Is that we have to understand the Bible was translated and interpreted and has been interpreted for over 2,000 years. So for 2,000 years, Church leaders have been writing about the Bible. So is there historical precedent for women in leadership ministry? Because what I found is that a lot of people, they go, well, who cares what uh, was said, you know, two centuries ago or uh, five centuries ago. All I care about is what people think today in the 21st century. Well, that is, uh, first of all, very uh, prideful that we are more aware or we know better than the early church leaders. And so we also have to look back at other teachers of God's word. So listen, I want to read C.S. Lewis and I want to read Tim Keller. These are more, uh, you know, contemporary writers. But I also want to go back centuries and I want to read Thomas Aquinas and Josephus and John Wesley and John Calvin and Tertullian and, and Augustine and Francis of Assisi. I need to go back through the centuries and what have other church leaders written about this topic? And we have a precedent. There is historical precedent throughout church history advocating for women in ministry as preachers, teachers, and pastors. And many of these individuals I just listed advocated for just that. So is this consistent with historic interpretation? Yes, we have a precedent for it. And then the fourth question is, is my method consistent across how I interpret all topics within scripture? Because what sometimes we'll do is on certain topics, we'll go, well, I'm going to approach this a little different because I want the result to be a certain way. But we need to approach scripture or, or approach every topic with the same method of interpretation of the scriptures. So let me lay out now the four big views on women and towards women in ministry. Are you with me? All right, good. 1130, just making sure you're awake. Number one is the traditional view. This is uh, one of the big views that people hold in women in ministry. This is not biblical. It's just traditional. 
And so here's what people say. People that hold the traditional view, they go, listen, men do man things and women do woman things. I'm traditionalist. So women stay home. They cook the food. They take care of the home. And the man goes to work. He brings home the bacon. He makes her cook the bacon. Um, He's a pastor. Women never are pastors. They're silent. This is traditional. Uh, I'm not, I have no biblical backing for it, but it's just the traditional view that I hold. I was going to share a few, you know, woman in the kitchen jokes, but my wife advised me against it. So again, not biblical, just traditional, but many people hold this. They couldn't even back up their reasoning for why women should do women things and men do men things with, with scripture. It's just, well, this is just what I believe. It's just the traditional view. This is number one, and a lot of Christians operate this way. The second view is the progressive view. Now, I want to caution you against this, uh, just like I would with number one, because There is, again, no theological reasoning or backing. There's no biblical reason or backing. In fact, the progressive view is always changing, right? That's the idea of it, is progress. So gender theory, views on men and women, like, yeah, we have our opinion of it now, but just so you know, it'll change in the next year and the year after, and it becomes more and more ridiculous because what progressives are doing is they're striving to be more enlightened and more ethical or more moral than generations past. And so they always have to change the goalposts. So a progressive view without scriptural backing is dangerous and I would caution you against it. But this is much of even people in the church. I'm progressive. I don't need the Bible to prove it because we're more ethical and moral today and we understand uh, women and, and male roles better today anyways. And so this is what I think it should be. And then next week, it'll probably change anyways. This is the progressive view. Now, the most common in the church are the next two. So number three and four, which are the complementarian and the egalitarian. So let me just define both and then I'm gonna give you some understanding of each. So first, the complementarian. The complementarian says uh, men and women are equal redemptively, and, and egalitarians believe this too, we're equal redemptively, but there are specific biblical roles for men and women in the church and in the home. That is the complementarian view. The egalitarian view says men and women are equal redemptively and in Christ and value, But there are no specific gender roles for men and for women anymore. Women can function in any way they want, in the home and in the church. It's all equal now. And their basis for this is Galatians 3, 27 and 28. And here's what it says. It'll be on the screen. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male, no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so egalitarians take the scripture and they say, see, all the delineation between men and women, roles in in marriage and in the church are done away with by this one scripture. But here's the problem with that. And I have a problem theologically with that. Is this scripture in context, is Paul writing to the church in Galatia, cautioning them about salvation and how certain individuals saw themselves within salvation as more valuable 
And so the early church, they believe, right, a lot of them were Jews, but then there were Greeks and Gentiles that were also coming to faith in Christ. And they're like, well, we're Jews. We're the, we're the chosen people. So we're actually of more value than you, even though you can be saved too. Like our salvation is greater. And then they were actually saying, and you're a slave and I'm free, so my salvation, I'm actually of more value than you. And then because it was a very misogynistic, male-dominated, patriarchal culture, they were saying, oh, and we're men, so we're of more importance than you women. In our salvation, it matters more, and so more and more important than you too. And so Paul is writing to the church in Galatia saying, hey, stop all that nonsense. When it comes to salvation, you're one in Christ. You're of equal redemptive value. No one is better or more important or matters more than the other. And so that's why I think egalitarians that use this verse to do away with all male and women's roles uh, are incorrect. So what I would call myself is a soft complementarian. Now, what do I mean by that? Because like the Southwest Baptists, or the Southern Baptists, why do I keep saying Southwest? The Southern Baptists, um, the Southern Baptists, they're complementarians, but they're hard complementarians, where they believe women cannot be pastors. And so they would never give the woman the title of pastor. So they have churches where women work, but they're the kids' director, and they're the women's director. And they would never give them the title of, of pastor. They can't be a discipleship pastor. They're a discipleship director. And they would never allow women to preach or teach to men. They would never be allowed on the stage because there's men in the audience. They can teach kids, even if they're boys. They can teach women um, at their women's nights. But they cannot hold the office of pastor. And they cannot teach or preach to any men. And... I'm going to get into why I don't believe that's true. I say I'm a soft complementarian. What do I mean by that? I still believe that there are clear biblical roles for men and women in marriage and in the church. But I also believe that women should not be silenced, that they can preach and teach and do ministry and hold the office of pastor. And I'm going to show you scripturally here in a moment. Now, I, I want to use the Trinity to illustrate why I, I am a complementarian, because sometimes we need to look at, uh, or we need to wrap our mind around the mystery that it is, the mystery of the Trinity, and the mystery of why God gave us specific roles as men and women. So first, the Trinity, egalitarians will try to say this. They'll say, we flatten the Trinity. Everyone is equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all equal. No one has more authority. There's no economy in the Trinity. Here's the problem, right? The Trinity is three distinct personalities. They're co-equal. You hear me? They're co-God. They're co-eternal. They're all God, but they're three different, complete, completely different roles. But the Father is first among the equals, and this is what I believe. And Jesus even affirms this when he says, and we see it in the Gospel of John, we see Paul affirms this. Jesus continually says, I only do the will of the Father. He says, I submit myself to the will of the Father. He actually asked the Father when, when he's in the garden, uh, uh, sweating blood, says, if it's your will, take this cup from me. 
but not my will, your will be done. So even Jesus uh, uh, asserts that he is below or he, he puts himself in submission to the authority of the Father. You see, they're all God, but there's a clear delineation of authority. Equality is not based on function or ability, but rather uh, from the divine being. And so we need to all understand this because here's what happens in the church and in marriage is that we actually think we matter more because God gave us headship as men. We start to think we're of more importance because God gave us headship. But biblically, we see, no, no, no. And, and, and Paul writes to Galatians like, no, you're one in Christ. No one's of greater value, but God is a God of order. Do you hear me, church? He's a God of order, and it's a mystery, this order, and we may not even like the order at times, but the reality is we submit ourselves to what his word says and to the order that he put in place. And so men and women, I believe, are equal in value, equal redemptively, but we have different functions and roles. So I want to dig into these scriptures um, that talk about silencing women that I believe we need to understand contextually. I also want to start by talking about marriage and the fact that Jesus uh, talks about marriage and male and, and female and femininity and masculinity because for us to properly understand roles as men and women in the church, we also have to properly understand our roles as men and women in marriage. So, we see that Jesus is addressed, he's actually asked about marriage by the disciples, and it's clear that he asserts that there is a difference between men and women. He says, God created them male and female. So he asserts that God invented the idea of masculinity and femininity. So hear me that... We have to embrace the reality of the masculine and the feminine that God made us different. Like we're really similar, men and women, but we're also really different. And that's okay. Like I can tell you this from experience because me and my wife, like we're really similar in a lot of ways, but we're also really different. And God created the masculine and the feminine because God embodies both. So God is both feminine and masculine. He embodies both because he created them and he put his fingerprint upon us. Paul writes to the, first, to the church in Corinth in 16, 13, and he tells them, he says to the men, men, act like men. Because they were allowing the women to usurp them. They were allowing the women to, to dominate them and domineer them. And he's like, listen, men, you got to step up and start acting like men. We cannot pretend that there is not male and female, church. Because God created male and female. Jesus quotes Genesis 1 and 2. It says, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. We are equal because we are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So you as men and you as women are of equal value in this world and in God's eyes. But there are differences biologically. Wouldn't you agree? Like there are differences biologically. I cannot have a baby. I can't. 
Chrissy can. I can contribute to making a baby, praise the Lord. But I cannot have a baby. It's impossible. I also can't be a mother. Now, we are in a day and age of fatherlessness where 40% of homes are fatherless. I actually just read that more children in America right now are growing up with pets than they are fathers. That's astounding. And we're in this day of fatherlessness, and I believe that the church has to embrace the mandate for spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Because we have a fatherless generation, but we also have a generation that maybe hasn't been mothered on a spiritual level. And so here's the reality. When Christy and I first started this church, we were 31 years old. And we, we were young, and people would say, you're like, you're, can you be like a spiritual father to me? And I'd be like, no. <laughs> like, I'm barely older than you. And I'd say, I'll be a spiritual big brother. And Chrissy will be a spiritual big sister. And then a few years back, God rebuked me. And he said, Caleb, you're afraid to be what I called you to be. And he said, you are the spiritual father of this house. Like that's my prophetic call. And your wife is the spiritual mother of this house. And listen, we need other spiritual fathers and mothers, but I operate and pastor this church spiritually very different than Chrissy does. And we need what I bring as a spiritual father, just like we need what Chrissy brings as a spiritual mother. Now, my fatherhood does not mean I'm more important or I matter more, nor does her motherhood. No, they're both needed and they're both of equal value. And so I needed us to hear this because there's this modern gender theory uh, at work and being taught that anatomy is the only difference between men and women and that gender is a social construct to want and desire different things uh, that has nothing to do with our design. But I want to tell you that it's ridiculous to think that God did not create us differently to bring different things as spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. That I carry something different as a father than Chrissy does as a mother. So whenever there isn't a father, it's a tragedy in a home. And it's sad, to be honest. And that's why we need spiritual fathers and mothers to rise up. Some of you that were not mothered spiritually, you maybe had an earthly mother. We need spiritual mothers to rise up. And we have to embrace these roles. No, neither one is more important. But there's roles. And there's authority given to them. So I want to jump in here and begin to look at husbands and wives and then I want to look at the scriptures where people use these because Paul said for women to be silent. We're going to talk about them. You ready? Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 says this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Quoting Genesis. Verse 32. I need you to see this. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this is uh, the breakdown of the roles in marriage, husbands and wives. And it actually says this is the mystery of Christ in the church and it relates that to the mystery of husbands and wives. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I don't understand why God put man as the head of the home just like I don't understand how it works that Christ is the head of the church. It's a mystery. But this is the role God gave us, and we need to embrace it. And then it talks about submission. And this is the hardest thing for us in the church, especially in the 21st century, to embrace and say, oh, man, it says women need to submit. But I don't know if you paid attention. I think it was four or five times it told men to love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Died for it. And so I, don't, I think it's significant that men are told to love. It never tells women to love. It actually tells women to respect and it tells women to, to submit. But it never tells women to love because women naturally you just love. It's more natural for you. It comes out of you, some of you more than others. But but it's natural. And men, we have to be told to love because it's not natural for us. And so this role of headship as men in the home and in marriage is a role of selfless serving. A role of selfless love where I'm not over her, crushing her. I'm underneath her, lifting her up and elevating her. That's what... The, what it looks like for a man to lead. And so we think submission is me saying to my wife, like, submit, woman, you do what I say. I know you want to watch that house hunting show, but we're watching Fast and the Furious every night of the week, Vin Diesel. Because I'm the man, submit. But it's clear that we need to lead the way Jesus leads the church. Jesus isn't overtly domineering and dominating the church. No, he's lifting it up, building it up in love, with patience. And that's how we lead. And I always say, what does submission look like? Like practically, we, we've said, man, if Chris and I ever get to the point where we're, we can't agree on something, submission looks like I'm the tiebreaker. But can I be real? In all these years of marriage, I never really had to break a tie because we're connected to one another and to the Lord and we pray and there's been times that we've you know I've influenced her and more often that she's influenced me and that 
I actually am like, if I'm going to selflessly serve her, I may actually acquiesce to what she wants more than what I want. As long as it's not violating some core principle of the word of God in my life. That's what this role looks like. But I needed to lay this context out because leadership is dying. Dying to self. Selflessly serving. And then we need to jump in now to understand better these scriptures on silencing women. So 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. I've set the tone now. uh, I've set the baseline for men and women in marriage. But now I want to talk about women in ministry. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submission or submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, wow. People read that like, that seems pretty strong, Caleb. We have to understand the context. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. This letter was originally intended for Timothy to read himself. In Ephesus, they were having major problems in the church because this was a very cultish city. And they were led by goddess worship and primarily the goddess Diana. And so there's all this cultural goddess worship, uh, Diana worship, and Diana was this God who said women were formed first and then man, and actually she's a huntress who kills men and hated men. And in this church, there was a, and we know contextually that this church was having major issues in the local church where women were domineering and dominating men, silencing men, and not allowing men to lead at all. And so Paul is coming in, he's saying, listen, we got to flip this thing around. We got to correct this because these women are completely dominating, domineering. The men are walking in submissiveness, not even allowed to speak, and we need to put this right. He's trying to get Timothy to have his men in the church take back their authority in a place where the women were dominating. So understand this culturally. Next verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 33-37. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should, be keep, should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. So Paul is saying, I want order. If you read... All of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the entire uh, chapter is about order in the church. People are prophesying, speaking in tongues, interrupting preachers. Their church services, like we're having right now, had become chaos. Like imagine everyone just jumping up and yelling out whatever they had, whatever they wanted during service, and people are talking and interrupting the teacher, and I'm up here trying to share, and people are yelling out multiple questions from the back. Not only that, but contextually in this culture, the men would have all been in the front and the women all in the back. And what we've learned historically is that what was happening in this church was the women were in the back yelling out, interrupting the teacher. And again, the women were becoming very strong in, in, in their, in their uh, 
authority. They were trying to exercise authority in the local church. And so Paul is, again, trying to get them in. We need order in the services. If you have questions, because the women were educated, they weren't allowed to go to school like the men were. If you have questions, ask your husband at home. It's not proper that you would yell out and interrupt these church services. So this is specific to the order of a church service where there is multiple interruptions happening. And you can see this in the entire chapter of chapter 14. He's trying to keep the order in a church that was completely out of order. All right, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16. This is the main text as to why I believe women should be, be able to preach and teach. But the context matters, all right? So let's read it. Chapter 11, verse 2 through 16. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So again, he's establishing the order. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was made, was not made from woman, but woman from man, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so now, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? So this is like, what is happening? First of all, Paul just affirmed that women in a public church setting can pray and prophesy. He said, when you pray and prophesy, make sure you're doing it, though, with your head covered. Because in this day, a woman with their hair down was a sign of promiscuity and, 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 and a prostitute. So he's saying, if you're going to do it, do it in the proper way, head covered. Again, it's cultural for how they dressed in this day. He's saying you can prophesy, which is preaching. You, you can pray in public in the church setting, uh, which is a pastoral calling uh, of a sort. He says, but when you do it, there's got to be a covering over you. And there's got to be order to it. And he lays this out. He lays out the order. And then he actually encourages women to speak out in public in the church. Wait, he just told them to be silent. This is why we have to read all of Pauline teaching. Because right after, advocating for, right after advocating for women to be silent, again, culturally, because the interruptions are happening, he's telling them, but when you do it publicly, make sure you're doing it in proper order and that you're covered. So like I said, this is the main text for why I believe women should be able to preach, teach. A woman, I believe, can teach and preach the word of God as long as they are covered. Now, I'm not talking about a physical like head covering. 
I'm talking about some sort of spiritual covering. Let me show you. Wayne Grudem cites this. There are 50 different appearances of the Greek word katholo in the New Testament. And every instance of this Greek word katholo means head. And it always means that someone is in authority of a church or a family. So when I read all of the New Testament, and I'm going to show you in a moment all the spots where Paul actually exhorts and encourages women who are leading, teaching, preaching, I'm about to go through that. I believe that this asserts that women can preach, teach the word of God, as long as there is a male covering present. What does that mean? I believe every home needs a father. And it's sad when there's not one. And so in the context of the local church, every church should have a spiritual mom. Every church should have a spiritual father. Now hear me. Men are not better leaders. I could give you a litany, a long list of individuals who were terrible leaders in the church and outside the church. And again, this is referring to the church specifically. So women, go be a CEO. Go be a boss. Go kill it in your jobs, right? Go crazy. This is not referring to, to the workplace and the marketplace. This was referring specifically to the church. So any woman teaching, preaching needs a male covering, which in this house is me. So that's why I say I'm a soft complementarian. So every time Chrissy gets up here to preach or teach, she's covered by me. In two weeks, she'll be up here covered by me. In four weeks, Alex is doing one of these weeks in this series. She's going to get up here. She's our spiritual formation pastor. And she's going to preach and teach. She's covered by me. Because I'm the spiritual authority and the spiritual father of this house. Now, does this mean I'm more important? No. Does this mean I'm better? No. Does this mean I, I, I have greater value? No. It just means that in God's structure of order, this is the place and position that I've been given. And it's the same way in marriage, and it's the same way I believe in all churches. This isn't just a Paul thing. Peter affirms this. I don't have time. We got to close in 1 Peter chapter 3. But I want you to see this. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and if the keys would come back, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. These are the five-fold ministry gifts, we call them. The five-fold gifts that are to be executed and operated in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Watch this. This is what Paul says. Again, we want to silence women. But then Paul actually affirms, elevates, and celebrates women. Apostles. Paul references Junia and Odronesis, who are both women. He sends them greetings in Romans 16, 7, and speaks warmly of them, how they launched their churches in Rome, apostleship, and how they had become Christians before he did. Prophets. In Acts 21, 9, we are told that Philip, had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. We have to take all of the scriptures. Evangelists, 
There's another female minister who is celebrated and esteemed by Paul named Phoebe in Romans 16, 1 through 2. Paul describes Phoebe, Phoebe as both diakonosis and prostasis. And he encourages her in her evangelism. Pastors and teachers. We see here Priscilla, another close friend and co-worker of Paul, was one of them. Together with her husband Aquila, she taught the already learned and eloquent Apollos, who himself was a teacher. It shows us in Acts 18, it says that she taught him the way of God. So I want you to think about this. In this context, biblically, if we look at the scriptures as a whole, we look at Paul's teaching himself. You cannot advocate for a silencing of women. You can't. You can't advocate for a complete silencing of women. It's impossible. And so what I want to say to you is the enemy wants nothing more than to silence half of the church. He would love it if half of the church were silenced and said, you go over there, you can only talk to them about the Word of God. The enemy would love that. And I believe biblically, scripturally, we can advocate and affirm that women have a voice, they can preach, teach, pastor, in order with covering in place. And so today, I want to speak to the women of this house and I want to tell you, you have gifts, you have a call, you have purpose, you have a voice, and God wants nothing more than to use you in a greater way next year and this year and in the years that are coming than he did in the years past. And some of you have been lied to that you should be silent in the corner, quiet, and God wanted to tell you right now, you have a voice and I'm calling you to use it. So I speak prophetically to the women of this house that you would use what God has given you to further his purposes, to bring him glory, and to propel the gospel forward. But men of this house, I want to affirm you and challenge you that you would lead from a place of humility, that you have no greater value than that woman that God has placed in your life, that woman that you have married, but that you would lead with love and selflessness and you would undergird the women in your life and propel them upward. That we would be side by side, men and women, powerfully leading the church to a place that I believe it's never been. So may we embrace these roles as men and women of the gospel. But as I was preparing, I felt like a whole message on order and the mystery of God's order, that there are people in this room that you know your life is out of order. What do I mean by that? That you have replaced God. You've replaced Jesus. You have not kept him on the throne of your heart and your life and you've actually moved him off and you've moved a person or a relationship or a dream or, or a goal and you've replaced the throne of your heart with an idol or something that is not Jesus and today in this place he wanted to speak to you I believe God wanted us to get back in order that we would say, God, I want to put you back on the throne of my life. I want to put you back on the throne of my heart. I don't want anything else to replace you. 
And too many of us in this world that say we love Jesus don't have Jesus enthroned in our lives. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, as we close, if that's you in this place, you say, Caleb, that's me. I've moved God. I've moved Jesus off of the throne. I've put something else. But today, I want to get back in order. I want to place Jesus back in the proper order in my life. I'm enthroning. I'm putting him back where he should be. I want you to lift your hand. Go, if that's you. Just slip it up. Yeah. Yeah, hands going up around the room. I see those hands. You can put them down. Would you all pray this with me right now? Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, of my selfishness, of my idolatry. I ask you to take your proper place on the throne of my heart. I don't want anything else in the place that you belong. So today, Jesus, be enthroned upon my heart, upon my praises, upon my lips, and upon my life. I give you all the glory in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet with me, church? I want us to close. I thank you for being with us. But I feel like I just need to pray a prayer over the men and women of this house as we go. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. When I say amen, if you need prayer, our prayer team is going to be up here. Uh, they, they'd love to connect with you. Raise your hand. Maybe you're walking through something. You're in the middle of a struggle. Whatever you need, our prayer team would love to pray with you. So come this way before you go that way. But I want to pray a prayer over us as men and women that we would walk in the authority of the call of God in our lives. So Jesus, right now, we ask you would be enthroned once again on the hearts and lives of your people. And God, as the men and women of this place, if any of us have been silenced, God, if any of us have shrunk back, whether we are men or women in this place, we've shrunk back from the authority and the place of authority and power that you've given us. I pray right now that you would restore the authority of your children. You would restore the confidence of the call and the purposes. You would restore the, the, the truth of who they are in you, your sons and your daughters who you will use to further your name and your gospel in this world. So God, bless us as we go. Be with them. And we pray that we would continue to put you in the right place, the right order. May we be in order as your church and your people. We love you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.